0: Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Coridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media Community Radio Station, WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. On this first program in November, I want to remind you that this is National Family Caregivers Month, a time to recognize and honor family caregivers across the country. It's also a chance to raise awareness and educate communities about caregiving issues and increase support for caregivers. Today, we'll be talking about a tough choice caregivers and those they care for may need to make, either aging in place or moving to a new home. In most cases, the decision isn't so clear-cut. My guest today is Robin Edwards, Certified Senior Advisor with Care Patrol of Northern Virginia. She will talk about what it means to enlarge the circle of care as older adults age, And she'll also discuss available alternative living arrangements for older adults and explain how senior placement services can help make the best choice to meet their needs. So welcome, Robin, and thank you for joining me today.
1: Uh, Thank you, Cheryl. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners.
0: Well, Robin, I think it's helpful for listeners to understand why these changes are important. So let's start by talking about the physiological needs as older adults age. So start there, and then after that, talk about the psychological needs.
1: Sure. Um, The primary physiological needs is with regard to their overall health. You know, at least 70% of people over the age of 65 will require some type of long-term care services um, and support at some point in time. Because generally speaking, people, as you know, are living longer, and with that comes a higher risk for falls, multiple chronic conditions, and some cognitive decline. And as far as psychological needs, I would say the primary concern there is with loneliness and isolation for many of them. And and the National Institute on Aging had a study that said social isolation constitutes a major risk factor for mobility and mortality. There are a lot of elder orphans in our community, as you may be aware. And these are folks that I meet with regularly regularly who are struggling to thrive, you know, and I believe that we all have a part to play in helping them get that piece of the puzzle, that uh, that socialization piece of the puzzle, to work better for them in terms of just reaching out to them, checking on them, seeing if there's ways that we can be, you know, sometimes just take them for lunch. I had a patient one time who when I was asking her what she wanted in an assisted living community after her discharge and all she said, I just want someone to share a meal with so that uh, loneliness and isolation is, is something that needs to be taken seriously as, as a concern for a lot of older adults.
0: I'm sure that that's even been more apparent during COVID for the last year and a half, Um, Mm -hmm. the social needs as well as the psychological needs because it's national caregivers month. Talk a a bit more also, Robin, about the impacts that caring for an older loved one can have on the caregiver. What do you also see as as these choices have to be made about living arrangements?
1: One thing I've learned over the course of the years that I've been doing this is that caregiver stress is nothing to play with. I can't tell you how many times I've had cases where i watched the caregiver physically decline faster than their aging loved one. And I see a lot of this with couples, and sadly, the worst-case scenario played out. You know, just a few weeks ago, I had a couple um, that, you know, over the this one caregiver rather over the course of time, had been given so many warnings by her doctor that she needed to, you know, kind of not assume so much of the burden of care for her loved one who had, you know, um, a dementia, and um, it was one you know, medical condition after the other that, you know, she had undergone. And then most recently, she had a massive heart attack and died. So, you know, the, the the demands of providing constant care can take a toll. And there's no shame for any of them. I know there's a lot of caregiver guilt, but there's no shame in asking for help and, and enlarging the circle of care. It's It's the right thing to do. And I encourage everybody to ask for help when they need it.
0: And when you're seeing this with the families, both the person who's receiving the care as well as the caregiver, how can family members then understand the type of care and the support that their older loved ones need and maybe even the caregiver? What what do they need to know? So I think, you know,
1: for when you're caring for someone, there's some clear warning signs Uh, that you need to look out for people, that seniors, especially those that are trying to navigate this aging journey on their own. And it falls into two categories. It's either safety, which is the primary concern for a lot of families with their elderly loved ones, or it's social. And in terms of safety, it's like, is that person wandering from home, Their frequent medication mistakes, is their unsafe behavior, like are they leaving the front door open or the stove on? missing appointments, you know, poor diets and poor hygiene, and then also is there increased falling, Um, is there there fall risk in the home um, that that come into play? So safety is, of course, the major concern. But on the social side, are there signs of depression often stemming from that loneliness? Some studies show that those without adequate social interaction are twice as likely to die prematurely. So one thing I want families to understand or take away from this is these warning signs do not go away on their own. Time is not on your side. These situations call for some courageous conversations and taking decisive action to to help keep your loved one out of harm's way.
0: Then taking that to the next step, Robin, are there certain criteria that can be used to assess the, the best living arrangement for the older adult based on what you just told us? About the psychological needs, right? I think it really depends on what the care needs are, and
1: with each provider—assisted living provider, or memory care, or even nursing home—they all there's always initially going to be an assessment to determine what type of care is needed. So whether that's assisted living, or memory care, or nursing care that's going to primarily be your guide in terms of what's the most appropriate setting. Sometimes older adults, when you talk to them, the first thing they think about when they think of senior living are nursing homes. And usually a nursing home is really only required if somebody needs 24-7 medical care. And those are folks that may be on a ventilator or feeding tube or may have staged wounds, three and four staged wounds um, that would require that you know that skilled care um in a nursing facility the the thing to note is that a lot of times some of these uh assisted living facilities have adapted to meet those higher levels of acuity so you know i had a case recently where a lady who had suffered a stroke she was in a nursing home and um she had been there for a year and frankly she was just miserable there she hadn't been outside for over a year Um, And she had institutional fatigue. Unfortunately, she was what they call a total assist, so she was paralyzed from the waist down. She couldn't carry out any ADLs, activities of daily living independently. And so she required a lot of hands-on care. What we were able to do with her, because she was definitely ready to get out of that setting, was find a small care home that had, you know, nursing support, you know, full-time nursing support there. And there she's able to thrive, and she's getting a lot more TLC in that smaller care setting. So there are a lot of options available, and that's part of our job, working with families and patients to help them understand what those options are.
0: And how about cost and affordability? Is that a major consideration when families are thinking about alternative living arrangements?
1: Yeah, it's definitely
0: a major concern.
1: When I meet with families, The big elephant in the room is usually the cost and what they can afford. All too often I'm referred to patients or even when I meet with families in general and they assume that their custodial care is covered by their health insurance or Medicare. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Primarily, it's private pay, so people have to use their savings or their investments or sell their home to pay for their long-term care. And then there there are some affordable um, housing options here in Northern Virginia, like Lincolnia Assisted Living in Alexandria or Culpeper Gardens in Arlington. But those places typically uh, have a really long waiting list. So it's not an easy solution for families that may need to make an immediate move.
0: And also, Robin, as this decision-making is going on, is it usual that family members include the older adult in the in the decision-making process or not? What have, what have you seen?
1: So generally,
0: yes. Um, it's one of the biggest decisions of their
1: lives, and they should have a say in it. Uh, usually, I encourage the adult children to take the need initially with the touring and vetting the options prior to getting mom or dad involved, because um, I think... You know, it can be an overwhelming process for them, but I do encourage them in, for, the, for the most part to get involved in that process and, and be comfortable with where they're going. There is an exception to that, and that is with folks that are suffering some cognitive issues. Um, there are circumstances where the senior, it's not advantageous for the senior to be involved in the process. And so I don't recommend including them in the vetting and discovery process of the communities, because. For, I find a lot of times with those folks, they're not always self-aware and they do not even recognize the need for care. So they, they're going to get, it's just so much pushback because it, it doesn't seem like they need, they don't feel like they need the care. So getting them involved often adds to the stress and may intensify the transfer trauma that uh, some of those folks with dementia are prone to experience.
0: One thing that I know about you, Robin, because you were on my show a number of years ago, and so you've been doing this a long time, what are the biggest mistakes that family members make when seeking an appropriate living arrangement for their loved ones? What what have you seen?
1: There's quite a few. (laughs) I would say initially that sometimes they take the facility operators at their word, And it's a regrettable situation, but sometimes marketers in those settings can be under considerable pressure to get folks to move in. So this can lead to them overselling what the provider can actually deliver. And I say that because I see this more in some memory care facilities where they may say their staff is skilled at caring for residents with aggressive behaviors. Um, That's when families, I encourage them to do their due diligence, do a lot more digging in terms of. What they act, these providers can actually do visit more than once, visit at different times of the day, dig a little deeper in terms of their governing policies, their staffing, the training of the staff, and what are their, you know, ask about their staff to patient ratios. All those things are key factors that you really want to get detailed information about before you sign in. In addition, you want to check their state records and incident reports. Um, Part of what we do is helping help the families know what questions to ask, so that they don't move into a setting where the place really can't meet the care needs of their loved one. One of the other big mistakes is they make the choice based on the fact that it's good for their a neighbor move to a community or a friend or relative move there. I mean, your mom may actually need a two-person assistant per diet. Not all facilities are alike. They're not all created equal. So it's important that, you know, determining based on your specific care needs, your lifestyle requirements, that you factor all that in, not based on what is good for someone else. And then the other thing I just want to suggest in terms of mistakes is they choose based on appearance alone. I call it chandelier shopping. Sometimes these adult children in particular will, you know, act like they're shopping for an apartment. I had a case with a family that moved their 95-year-old mom with early stages dementia to this really large, fancy place with a lot of bells and whistles, the pool, the various dining options, the fancy pub, a movie theater. It had everything you could think of. She was miserable there. It was too large and too overwhelming for her. So what we were able to do was find a smaller, more modest setting for her and um, that was appropriate for her in her elder care journey. I would say
0: those are the primary mistakes that I'm seeing. And to the point of all that you're explaining here, are there any websites or any resources that people can also look online before they begin this process? There, there are. Um you can go to let's say if you wanted to compare nursing
1: homes medicare.gov is a resource where you can compare see what ratings are there that's very um revealing if you dig through some of that information there's also the department of social services has information about some of the assisted living providers Um, what they don't tell you are the things that care patrol looks for when we're vetting these communities when we meet with providers we're asking them you know, in detail what their care capabilities are. We're asking them about how what their financial structure is. We're asking them about their staffing ratios. That's a type of information you don't find online. So um, the benefit of working with Care Patrol is we have gathered that information and we've done all the homework for these folks already. Um, so we're a free resource that they can tap
0: into. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about the services, which you provide uh, later in the program. But to get the process started for the best place, do you find that staying at home, or families, staying at home and hiring individuals to provide in-home care services, is that always the best option? Or when is it the best option? I
1: think it can definitely be a Great option for people um, if they can afford it. The good thing about home care is that it's scalable service so they can adjust it to the right amount of and type of care they need if they need at any given time. The challenge with home care specifically I think one of the biggest challenges are the costs. Uh, Some of the home care agencies um, they're charging anywhere from 20 to 35 dollars an hour so if someone needing you know 24 7 care that cost can be quite prohibitive. And then I think also with hiring home care or, or um, a CNA or a home care agency, um, the you have to ask questions, you have to ask questions about the caregivers and understand like how well are they screening their caregivers, how much training is provided to them. What is the backup plan if no one shows up for a shift? That's something that's, um, um, you know, it's a common issue with, with some of these uh, home care agencies where they have caregivers that, you know, may not show up for any given reason. So you want to work with a reputable agency that it's, you know, well staffed and that have contingency plans for folks when they don't show up. And the other thing that I think people need to be aware of is there's, there's two options. You can go with a home care agency, which I typically recommend. And then also people may re, you know, rely on these registries. Um, with the registry, if you do get someone off the registry, yes, the cost may be a little bit lower, but in fact, if you do that, you end up being the employer and you're responsible for their workman's compensation, unemployment, you have to pay their state and federal taxes. It's, it's a lot more complicated if you go that route. So I really say for most Families and seniors, um, it's better for the to work with an agency that will, um, you know, manage the the burden of, of of supervising that caregiver and have checks and balances in place so that you don't have to take that on in addition to all the other responsibilities that you may be dealing with.
0: I was also wondering if, in addition to the benefits and challenges that you already described, is isolation a concern? Again, I'm wondering if from the social standpoint, uh, that can be a, a, a problem over and above just the actual requirements of the care that's that's necessary, but more just the social aspects. What would you tell us?
1: I'd say this. I know a lot of people want to, you know, age in place. That's, I mean, there's studies that say 80% of seniors want to stay in their home, and I get it. There's no place like home. And for some seniors that I, I find it can, that arrangement can work well when they have a pretty large circle of care. So I have a friend in Alexandria, she's 96 years old. She has a very supportive network of family and friends. And, you know, we check on her, we bring her groceries, we take her out. I mean, for her, aging in place is working beautifully. She's managing pretty well, you know, independently, but she has a lot of support. But on the flip side, there's a lot of these elder orphans, these folks out here who may be widows that don't have adult children or all their friends and family are no longer around and they are really struggling to thrive um they're languishing in a state of loneliness so to speak um and they are the folks that you meet and they're that you sometimes when i meet them they're desperate to move from the environment they're in i mean aging in place for them has had an expiration date and they're ready to to transition to a place where typically a lot of times once they move, they're very glad that they move and oftentimes will tell me they wish they had done it a lot sooner. So yeah, that loneliness and isolation is a major concern for many seniors in our community.
0: And then given what you just described and the isolation issue, if the older adult decides to move out of the home, and I would Add also the older adult, and maybe if they are requiring some care, and it's the caregiver as well. Is there a process that you help the person who is getting cared for if that's necessary, and the caregiver, they're ready to move? What's the first step that you do in terms of talking about the issues that need to be considered about where they should live?
1: So, typically, when we're called on to help, you know either families meet with families in their home or patients in hospitals. What we do is we do we have what we call a care discovery and we're gonna go through what their care needs are, what you know, what help they may need with their activities of daily living, what their medical conditions are, you know, their finances, their lifestyle preferences, and, you know, what their financial requirements are. You know, the big factor as I mentioned before is cost. What can they afford? And sometimes it may mean um, moving outside of the DMV area if they can't afford the prices here are pretty high. So the good thing about Care Patrol is because we have a network of 150 offices throughout the United States, sometimes it may be a, a case where you know they may want to go to North Carolina. Let's say it's more affordable there or they have family there. We can help them with those transitions in other locations. The other thing that I I think is a port- important consideration for people when they move is factoring in the likely progression of any conditions they may have. You know, if you have a condition, they may eventually Im- severely impact your ability to carry out your activities of daily living. Ideally, you know, we want to work with them to educate them and help them understand that if they don't want to have to move repeatedly, finding a place where long-term that would be appropriate setting for them so that they can age in place.
0: All right. Well, this is probably a good time to stop because the next part of the program, we're going to talk about some of the different possibilities. We're listening to Robin Edwards, who's a certified senior advisor with Care Patrol of Northern Virginia. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're talking with Robin Edwards, Certified Senior Advisor with Care Patrol of Northern Virginia. And today we're really focusing on aging in place versus seeking alternative uh, living arrangements and covered a lot of information on the first half. Robin, I want to go through the different types of possibilities, uh, alternatives for older adults and their caregivers if, if necessary. And as I ask each of these questions, if you could also give us a little information about changes that now have occurred in all of these types of of arrangements because of the pandemic, if things are people Mm -hmm. that need to know about. So let's start with independent living. What are the services that are available? What are the benefits, challenges, costs? Give us a, tell us about that.
1: Sure. Uh, When it comes to independent living, um, it's ideal for people who are really completely independent in terms of what their care needs are. Um, it provides residents convenient act- access to activities, entertainment, sometimes transportation services. It also includes like hospitality services such as housekeeping. And in some communities, they they also offer meals. The one thing that I often find when I meet with seniors and we start talking about these housing options in their mind, a lot of times they will say I'm independent and they'll want to go to an independent living facility when that's really not what's appropriate for them if they do have care needs. So like I said, a lot of what we do is try to educate them about the variety of options so that when they go in, if they're 96 years old and they have they need help with mobility or medication management, independent living setting is not going to be appropriate for them. As far as you mentioned the cost, that, that can range anywhere from two to $4,000. And again, that would depend on the size of the apartment. Um, But as far as independent living, there are some affordable housing options that offer, you know, independent senior housing here in the Northern Virginia area. And you can find those online with the County Department of Social Services have some uh, list of housing options available for folks to look at and sign up for. The problem is there is a long waiting list for, you know, those independent housing options. But that is something that people can look into and explore if if they're they were working with limited resources.
0: And in terms of independent living, have there been any changes now uh, associated with the pandemic?
1: Most of the um, providers, there are safety protocols in place. Um, I know that, you know, most of them will require masks uh, for uh, visitors, uh, temperature check. Um, some places require that you show a um, a vaccination card. Um so there are safety protocols in place in a lot, at a lot of these providers, um, just to even go visit them. Um, so as far as the residents, most of them do require that their residents are vaccinated. Um, I don't hear about a lot of outbreaks in these communities. They really have put a lot of safety protocols in place to, to try to keep that from happening in those settings, in those congregate living settings. That includes for staff members.
0: All right. Well, then let's take it another step then to assisted living. How does that differ? What are the services there? And again, benefits, challenges, costs.
1: Sure. It, it, with assisted living, it does encourage an independent lifestyle, but it's ideal for those with difficulty, you know, carrying out their activities of daily living. And they may need be in need of some type of custodial care, such as help taking a shower with medication management or feeding assistance. Um they also offer a range of services like laundry services, transportation, and meals uh, are provided in those settings. So when you need to enlarge your, your circle of care, um, if you go into those types of settings, you you know whether you require just a little bit of help or a lot, they usually can accommodate really high care needs in assisted living settings uh, much more than they did previously. And when you're talking about cost, a lot of variables go into determining the cost. It's not a simple answer. Uh, sometimes you'll see and you know, on websites where they'll have a price thrown up there. Well, it's a little misleading because the actual costs, you know, you have to factor in the size of the apartment that you're getting, the care needs. In some of these communities, they may have care levels from one to six. And so the the, the care cost can be, you know, can really add on to what you're paying. Uh, Some of the communities even now offer all-inclusive pricing um, so that, you know, there's not broken down, you know, the added on cost of care levels. The disadvantage with that is they may not be able to write off uh, some of that expense on their taxes. So, you know, you have to weigh the pros and cons of using that option. And then, you know, there's something else that can affect the cost too, is if people are willing to Go into a living arrangement where they're sharing a suite where they may have a private bedroom, but a, uh, a shared living room area uh, that also can, you know, help with the cost and make the cost a little bit lower for the family. So for assisted living. On the low end, I, I always say families should look at something maybe in the 5000 range to, to $8,000 or 9000 range on the high end uh, in terms of cost if they stay in this immediate area. If you venture outside of this area, let's say if you were to go further south or other parts of the state of Virginia, the cost, the price point is much lower. Um, also if you want to venture to other states, um, you can sometimes find a more affordable options. with you know, working with Care Patrol, you do have flexibility <laughs> of, um, you know, expanding your search if you're willing to, to if, if cost is a factor or if you're willing to, to look into other areas that may be more affordable.
0: And as far as funding for this and paying for it, you mentioned care, so that could be covered partially under Medicare or uh, long-term care insurance or private pay or all of the above what would you tell us?
1: So for the most part, if you're going into, let's say, assisted living or memory care, it is private pay. And people will typically use their home or their investments to finance their long-term care needs. So, um, But there are other ways that people pay. And sometimes people will rely on reverse mortgages, long-term care insurance for veterans or widows of veterans, um, they may be able to tap into veteran aid and attendance benefits. Or they could look at life settlements where they take their life insurance policy and they can use those funds to, um, they sell it, and they can use those funds to pay for assisted living, nursing home, or in-home care services. And one of the things that, the good things about Care Patrol is that we have a free financial concierge service that can help families navigate the various options and in, 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 help them put together that financial piece of the puzzle that works best for them.
0: Now, you mentioned memory care communities. Is that in and of itself an entity, or are they are memory care communities usually a part of assisted living?
1: Well, there are various types of options out there available to people.
0: Yes, there are some that are
1: designated units, you know, as part of an assisted living or a continuing care retirement community or life care community where you have just a secured Unit within the larger facility. Uh, there are some uh, standalone memory care facilities where all they do is specialize in in memory care in the whole entire uh, uh, campus. Um, so, and then there's also for people to consider. Uh, sometimes when let's say a person requires a very low sensory environment, there's some small memory care homes here in Northern Virginia. Where they specialize in providing care for people with more advanced dementia or, or you know, may need just a lot more um, TLC in terms of, um, you know, carrying out their daily activities. Um, um, so there are a variety of options there um, for people. I will say this just because someone has a diagnosis of dementia does not mean that they have to go to a memory care unit. Typically, those are ideal for people that may be um, exit-seeking, uh, they're wanderers or have aggressive behaviors, or they may require a lot of queuing uh, for, you know, just to carry out activities in, during the course of the day. That's when memory care is most appro- appropriate, but you do still have a lot of people in assisted living that do have some memory issues that can live there and live there quite well for a long time and never require a memory care unit. And in terms of cost, that it, it really is It's probably, it's very expensive. Um, Most memory care facilities start at the $8,000 range in this local DMV area. So the cost can be quite prohibitive if you remain in this this area for a lot of families.
0: And is that a monthly fee?
1: That's the monthly fee. That's the starting price. I have found that since the pandemic, um, there have been some adjustments in pricing uh, where, I mean, you know, right after the pandemic, I mean, they had low occupancy in a lot of these communities, so they were really offering um, some incredible um, pricing incentives. So uh, a lot of families took advantage of that. You know, earlier this year, it was a lot of families that I worked with that really took the plunge and moved because there were so many great deals to be had. And. Some of the providers too, when they reach out to me, they keep me abreast of any incentive and pricing options that they have, so I can. All they always share it with the families that I'm referred to. They're aware of what, you know, may be available. That they may assume that it's higher, but you know, with some communities, they're adjusting the pricing. They're offering incentives, um, like locking in their pricing for a year or reducing the the rent for the first three months. So. There are a lot of um, incentives out there. It's just knowing where to go and look for them.
0: And when families are considering, like, either the assisted living or memory care communities, do you explain maybe what the benefits are and the challenges? Uh, Is there things that families should know?
1: One of the things that we do um, is offer them, as part of that care discovery, provider discovery process that we work with them through, we give them a checklist of questions to ask. And we, that checklist is like a guide that will, you know, help them look at just not the pretty chandelier when they walk into the room, which, you know, you want a place that's aesthetically pleasing to look at, but it's gonna walk them through many things that we want them not only to observe, use all their senses, the smells, we want them to look at the residents and see how well-groomed they are, we often like when i'm working with seniors i will often take them for more than one visit that first tour they may go and visit the second time this is pre-covid may go back for lunch where they can meet the residents ask a lot of questions ask to meet with some of the um, uh, to talk to some of the families of some of the residents really it's knowing what questions to ask and making sure you are very thorough in your vetting process and not just going based on you know initial impressions of how a place looks
0: and if then moving to the next level you had mentioned earlier in the program about nursing homes nursing homes usually require 24/7 care is that correct mm-hmm. so would that be the main criteria for taking a person to a nursing home or having them live in a nursing home
1: well it's Based on the state regulations, so what assisted living facilities are not allowed to take people, let's say, on a ventilator, or let's say they have stage three or four wounds, or um, they're on a feeding tube, those are prohibited conditions for assisted living. So the next step would likely be going into a nursing home, which offers that um, skilled, those skilled services in that, in that setting. Those people need 24-7 medical care. If you're in a nursing home, typically that's that's just the only setting that's really appropriate for you. So, um, and then the nursing homes, uh, you know, yeah, Medicare does cover the costs for up to a hundred days. I mean, there's certain qualifying conditions that have to be met for Medicare to cover the costs, but um, typically if you're, you know, if, if Medicare isn't going to cover it for that period of time, it's it's private pay and it's very expensive nursing home costs. Are calculated on a daily rate, and most of the time, I find it's uh, going uh, to be three to four hundred dollars a day plus ancillary charges. So um, that's going into that setting. If it's private pay, is is by far the most expensive for any family to consider.
0: And if they were low income, would they be eligible for Medicaid, or would that depend on which state they live in?
1: In a nursing home, yeah, Medicaid can be used uh, under certain conditions to pay for their long-term care in a nursing home if they met, met certain criteria.
0: Okay, so that would be another funding source that would be available depending on what their income level was. That's correct. There's another type of living arrangement called life care communities. Tell us about that. Okay,
1: these are uh, larger communities that offer various levels of care um, on, on one large campus, so they may have an independent assisted living memory care and nursing care all, all in one setting. And uh, so they present an ideal option, I would say, for younger seniors who want to age in place, the, the caveat being that they're very, very expensive. Some of these communities require a, a significant buy-in where you're asked to put down several hundreds of thousands of dollars, and on top of that, you pay a monthly fee. Um, one good thing about them, or one selling point for them, is that these are um, the non nonprofit life plan options offer benevolent fund, benevolence funds as part of their mission, allowing residents to, to, to access to all levels of care for the rest of their lives, even if they outlive their financial resources, one lesson learned for me over the course of the years, though, with that promise, is that you know the devil is in the details. So I encourage clients that are really considering um, signing a contract with one of those life care communities uh, to work with another law attorney before signing on the dotted lines, because you know. Just like with any provider, there are pros and cons to to each of the options that are available to you.
0: And again, it sounds like it would be more private pay uh, that people would have to pay quite a bit of money, right? That's correct. And are the contracts also, like if somebody moves in and then ends up... um, not staying there for very long? Is there any refund policies or is this part of the thing people need to know?
1: I think they, they return. It depends on the type of contract. Usually they give you a couple of options, but some of the funds are, um, refunded, uh, to the family. I think they, you know, let's say if you put down 700,000, they may take 1% of that 700,000 each year. Um, uh, Deduct a one percent a year or two percent, depending on where you go, and then at the end, uh, when the person is you know no longer living there, the the money is returned to the estate. Um, the remaining funds are returned to the state. That's not always the case, though there are some exceptions to that. And so it's, like I said, it's a little complicated and the devil's in the details with those contracts. And I encourage folks to work with another law attorney. So there are really no surprises. I had one, I find it a little tricky when sometimes when couples move in and let's say I had a case one time where it was a couple and the Wife, they moved into the independent setting, and they were doing for, fine for a while. But the husband's care needs changed drastically. He could no longer stay in that independent setting. So, in addition to what she was paying there, the family was paying there. They had to pay an additional huge expense for him to go into uh, the memory care setting, and it was it was an additional cost. So, um, it, the devil's in the details, and and I think people need to understand. She ended up wanting to move out, and I did help her move out, and she was very upset about that, having to move after she had put up so much money. But um, um, I I do encourage people to really just go through, ask a lot of questions, and really understand what they're getting into, especially if you're going in as a couple. Um, It can be a little challenging.
0: Well, and that's a good reason to get in touch with the senior placement agencies, which you've been talking about um, throughout this, this program. So, Help us understand, what are senior placement agencies, and, and how can families learn how to find one? What, what do they need to know when they're seeking assistance for folks like you? Okay, well, uh, senior placement agency, I mean, we,
1: we specialize just in providing placement services specifically tailored to meet the needs of the senior in need of appropriate, appropriate housing and care. So we may work directly with the senior or we may work with the senior's families just so that we can, you know, kind of serve as a matchmaker so that, you know, whatever, whatever solutions they need, we can help them navigate to find that solution. Um, because the challenge I find, I know that many families face is when they start this process of looking for, let's say, assisted living or memory care. You know, you get a list that you may get off from off the internet. It's not telling you a whole lot of anything. All these, there's so many options out there. You can just go crazy trying to navigate and understand what they're all about. The good thing about Care Patrol is that we've gone through and pre-screened all the, these providers in the community. We know about what, what kind of care services they provide. We know about their financial structure and how... Um, how they, how they charge families for, you know, different fees for different things. So we've already done that homework for them. So the benefit of using a free resource like a senior <clears throat> placement agent is that we're a wealth of knowledge. We've done the homework for us. We're here so that you can tap into our knowledge base and save yourself a lot of time and energy just going from place to place.
0: And explain, Robin, how senior placement agencies get paid. What what is the relationship between the agency and the facilities that you are in contact with?
1: Okay, so for senior placement agencies like Care Patrol, our services are provided free to the families. We are compensated by the providers in our network, and Care Patrol has thousands of providers across the United States. And it's much like we're compensated much like a real estate agent we get a commission let's say when someone moves into a community um that said every place i refer to i don't necessarily have an agreement with when you're working with you know hospitals and rehabs in some of those really challenging difficult cases of you know maybe folks with very limited resources or patients that may be abandoned in hospitals you're there to provide a solution so it may be that you know what you're doing a service is to provide a pro bono and if you sign up to to be a senior placement agency you know that comes with the territory so um you have to really want to be about making serving the family your priority and helping you know these providers or uh, the, the senior find a solution whether you know you're compensated all the time or not, because it's, it's just not the case. Um, it, it, it doesn't work that way.
0: And, and so the important thing to remember here is, is that the focus for people like yourself is that it's to help the client, the patient, or right. the, the person who's receiving the care, the caregiver, the family, and not uh, maybe select certain facilities that would be paying you once you do the placement. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. Because when you're working with, let's say, patients and maybe someone's being discharged and they're like a two-person assist or they require a pureed diet, a special diet, you, you can't just say, oh, well, I'd rather you go to this fancy place over here uh, because that's where I have an agreement. You're, they, these hospitals and rehabs are relying on you to make sure that that patient is in, put into the appropriate setting. And the families, likewise, want to make sure that they're going into the appropriate setting. So that's what our, our mission is. Our company was founded by a hospital social worker. So a lot of what we do is based on a social, work, social worker business model, social work business model. So there may be times when the solution um, may be such that, you know, it, it may be in an area where like sometimes I've had to place people let's say in West Virginia, it, it, it just happens sometimes that you're not going to get paid for that. But your whole goal is to make sure you find the right solution. I had a, the most successful placement agent I ever met uh, gave me some advice and he said, do the right thing and success will follow. And so far that's, that's been true since I've gotten into this business. It's just doing the right thing by the patients and those who are calling you to, to help them.
0: And that's nice for families to know as well, uh, that they can, they can trust uh, the individual who's helping. And to that point, Robin, I was also curious, There is a seems to be different terms. Um, I've introduced you as a certified senior advisor, but I'm also hearing the term senior placement agent. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the difference between those two? Is there experience or training? Help us understand that.
1: So, not every senior placement agent is a certified senior advisor. Um, I can't speak to how other companies necessarily operate because the industry is not regulated. Um, However, Care Patrol being the largest and oldest senior placement agency in the United States raised the bar in terms of the requirements we must meet in order to, to operate. And one of those is one of the first things that's required is that we do become a certified senior advisor. And to do that, you must undergo a pretty extensive course of study on all aspects of aging uh, and pass a test. Um, and you also must adhere uh, to its code of ethics. And if that holds us to a very high standard of professional conduct when working with various, with vulnerable adults. And so to maintain that certification, we're required every year to, to take a lot of continuing education courses. And our franchisor also provides its ongoing uh, training and support as well. When you're in healthcare, it, it's a evolving learning process. It's um, not as easy doing what we do as just giving a family a list or uh, and just say go figure it out. I mean that that's not doing anybody any good. Our for, in order for us to be a benefit to them, it's it's on us to make sure that we have the knowledge and experience to offer as much guidance and expertise as we can um, for them as they navigate, you know, the puzzle of complexities that they're going to have to deal with as they try to make these transitions to senior housing.
0: Okay, well, we're getting close to the end of the program, but I wanted to ask you two more questions. And one of them is, what action could be taken if the family members aren't satisfied with the care that a loved one is getting in a new facility? Do they come back to you, or how does that work?
1: When there's an issue with a provider, I always encourage them to meet, you know, set up a meeting with the director of nursing or with the administrator to see if they can address your concerns. I find typically these providers are usually very accommodating, you know, as long as they don't, you know, meeting the state. You know regulations they're very accommodating working with families so that's the first stop if they find that they don't have a meeting of minds they can refer to an ombudsman that's provided through the county that can sometimes mediate uh, any issues they may have and then sometimes if they're if there isn't a meeting of minds and they can't they, they it may be that they chose the wrong place for their loved one and um so that actually happened about a week ago with someone that had placed someone in a memory care facility, it clearly wasn't the right setting for him. Um, And and that can happen a lot of times with memory care because they're all so different. Um, There's some places that offer two levels of memory care. So those are early stages and late stages. There's, there's so many different varieties of options that, you know, unless you know that those options exist, you may put someone in a setting that they really is just not appropriate for them. So, you know, in in those cases, they could always call on me. And, and sometimes in that particular case that happened a week ago, I work with the family just to help them um, come up some questions for their meeting with the administrator and the director of nursing um, to ask, because they didn't know what to ask for the meeting that they had set up with them. They ended up staying. Um, But, you know, I think they had just a little bit more peace of mind knowing what to ask and how to, knowing what expectations they were appropriate for them to have and what was not appropriate. You know, I think sometimes people go into those settings because they pay that money that they're paying. They think they're going to get one-on-one care, and that's just not the case. That's not what they typically will provide.
0: Okay. Well, and final question. You've mentioned Care Patrol and uh, a particular any website or telephone number or what What did you want to share with listeners in terms of how to get in touch?
1: Well, a good way to find out, I mean, you can always search for senior placement agencies in your area, but there's other resources that you can tap into if you wanted to, let's say, explore other places you may want to consider relocating, Genworth, the website can provide you with, you know, the cost for assisted living or nursing home care in other states or cost for home care. It's a great resource if you just wanted to get some general information about the cost. And then there's Medicare.gov, let's say if you wanted to compare nursing homes in your area, that's a great resource. And also there's um, Department of Social Services here in Virginia that can provide you some insights into assisted living communities. But if you wanted to reach out to Care Patrol, you know, you can certainly uh, check out our website. Um, and one thing that I encourage people to do, if your listeners to do, if you want to learn more about our services and get a general idea of the value that we can bring, there's a website called Trustpilot, and that's where we have a five five star excellent rating there. And you can see some of the testimonials of families that we work with and kind of the scope of services that we provide that that can be helpful to you during a crisis or when you're trying to make these uh, major decisions about um, transitioning to senior housing.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank Robin Edwards, Certified Senior Advisor with Care Patrol for joining me today. And if you want to learn about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, agingmattersonline.com. And at that site, you can access all Aging Matters radio and TV show content, as well as listen to the podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and that website is inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today, and remember... Age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.
2: Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org.